Good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns has been aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, which which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And just a reminder that this show is being recorded, so we won't be taking any calls today. This afternoon, our topic is um, the the opportunity for Maine to consider a consumer-owned electric utility. If you're listening to this in Maine, you probably are receiving your electricity from one of two private utility companies. Bipartisan supporters and uh, sponsors of a bill before the legislature want to establish a consumer-owned utility to have more control over rates, greater accountability for service, and the ability to move more quickly to a green energy future. So we're so glad that we have some folks in the studio, including um, Representative Nicole Grahowski of Ellsworth. And Nicole, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here with you and talk about this exciting um, opportunity that we are discussing at the legislature and with the whole of the state of Maine right now. Great. And you, um, you're you on the uh, Energy, Utilities, and Technology Committee. Is that right? That's right. So I'm serving my second term in the main house as the representative for the citizens of Ellsworth and Trenton. And this is also my second term serving on the Energy, Utilities, and Technology Committee, where uh, we deal with issues like electricity, but also things like uh, natural gas and cable and internet. Um, so we have a lot of work that we're doing, and we're trying very hard to wrap it all up in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure. Uh, I've, I've got um, two um, folks who are um, younger than the average WERU uh, Talk of the Town's guests, and I'm delighted to have uh, recent graduates of Mount Desert Island High School, now both of them in college. Emily Rochford is in U- at Unity College, and she's a core member of Maine Youth for Climate Justice. Welcome to you, Emily. Yeah, thank you so much, Ron, and it's really good to be here, especially bringing a youth voice to this present issue of consumer and utilities and a green future. Great. And then along with her is Louise Chaplin. Uh, Louise is at the University of Maine, and she's on the executive board of Coastal Youth Climate Coalition. Welcome to you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a very exciting opportunity, and I know a lot of young people around the state are equally as excited about it as I am. We're also joined by John Brodigam. Um, John is an attorney uh, with long experience and a public policy consultant. Welcome to you, John. Glad you could be with us. Thank you, Ron. It's really good to be here, and I'm so glad you're doing a program on this important issue. Great. Well, why don't we why don't we go back around the circle and get just a little bit of background, starting with you, John. Um, give us a little background on your own kind of career and why you're interested in you know, public power, for instance. Yeah, I'm very, I've been very interested in public policy in general and in the environment and uh, climate issues. I, I was in the legislature 2004, 2008, working on energy and um, utility related issues. I was the director of Efficiency Maine when it was part of the Public Utilities Commission. Um, But what really got me interested in this idea was when I first understood about a year and a half ago um, the benefits that this brings in terms of facilitating Maine's beneficial electrification process, which is a a complicated way of just saying achieving our climate goals by 
using the grid in a really in a clean and uh, powerful way to advance tr uh, transmission of uh, transportation and uh, home heating onto the electric grid and off of fossil fuels. And when I understood the potential there, I got really excited about this idea. Well, thanks. Louise, how did you get interested in this um, as, as a student, presumably as a high school student and now in, into college? What led you to, to your interest? Yeah, I've been involved in climate activism kind of in general uh, since I was in high school, and I'm now studying environmental science at the University of Maine. Um, and through that, I got to know Gary Friedman, who is a big member of Our Power, and he got me involved in the social media branch of Our Power, and I've started working with them in that in that way. And Our Power is is a, an advocacy group concerned with this particular legislation. Is that right? Yes. Um, how about Emily? A little bit of background and how you got started and what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So at Unity College, I'm in the Sustainable Energy Management Program. So a big focus on renewable energy. I'm doing an internship with a renewable energy company. So getting into that aspect of the industry. Um, and as a member of Maine Youth for Climate Justice, we're a coalition of 300 youth all across the state, um, getting involved in different legislative efforts and all that. So I got connected through Gary Friedman, again, as Louise mentioned, and got connected with the board of Our Power, which is the coalition behind um, this movement or this legislative movement. Um, so yeah, got involved that way and very excited about the prospects of just the green future and renewable energy is made possible by this COU. Well, thanks so much. Um, Nicole, a little bit more background on yourself and what led you first to certainly, you know, to run for the legislature and, and what's been really interesting to you about, about your service. Thank you for that question. Um, I do often wonder, especially at this time of year when we're so busy, um, why I ran for the legislature, but it is such a great way to um, connect the needs of my community um, with the state policy goals and to try to make sure that our voices are heard, but also that we're doing uh, good work for the benefit of the whole state. So um, I decided to run for office simply because I believe that people deserve a choice at the ballot box and they um, didn't have anyone to run for the seat that was uh, being vacated due to term limits. So I didn't have any pre preconceived notion of uh, what it meant to be in the legislature or it hadn't been a lifelong goal, but it has so far been um, a real, a really positive journey. Um, my dad actually was an, uh, an electrician. He is now retired. He wants everybody to know he is retired. So <laughs> don't call him for work. Um, and many listeners probably know him. Um, so I, I and he actually used to work for him. So electricity has always been a top interest for me. But in college, I also studied environmental studies and chemistry. And uh, it was a real focus for me um, to learn about climate change, what is actually happening in our atmosphere. And so I think that um, I bring that longstanding interest uh, as well as my background um, as a GIS specialist, thinking a lot about spatial solutions um, to the problems uh, in front of us in the legislature. And, and um, tell us a little bit about the background for this particular bill. Um, this isn't the first time, I, th I don't think, that we've talked about um, a, a public utility option like this, but it's, it's, it's reached this level. Tell us some of the background for, for um, creating this bill. Sure. Um, I, I feel it's something that I learned about when I became a member of the legislature, but so much of what it's trying to accomplish to have uh, more affordable electricity, more reliable electricity. That means 
um, fewer outages and shorter outages uh, to help us reach our clean energy goals. These are all things that I hear about from my friends and neighbors. Um, they heard about on the campaign trail. And when I saw that there was a solution in front of us that works elsewhere in our state, uh, there are nine consumer-owned utilities in the state of Maine and also all around our country, I thought I really need to put my energy and effort into this proposal because it is solving all of these different problems that I hear. Um, another one that I want to add is internet access. There's a lot of opportunity with this proposal to expand high-speed internet to rural areas that are unserved uh, and also to make it more affordable. So when I see all of those things coming together in one proposal, I, I just dove in and I did so much research and I feel very confident that this is um, the path forward for Maine um, in order to, to achieve those goals. John, you mentioned um, while we were getting ready for the show that we expect a lot of, of public utilities, electric utilities now that perhaps we didn't um, historically. Uh, give us some sense of how um, electric utilities were created um, uh, back a century or so ago, more than a century ago, and what, what we're expecting of utilities today. Yeah, electric utilities really emerged um, with the technological development of uh, electrification of the entire uh, country and that that didn't happen all at once. It happened in certain areas um, that are close to generation facilities immediately, and then it, it gradually spread. And, and then the government really had to get involved in encouraging the spread of electrification into rural areas, mostly in the 1930s and 1940s, um, with um, some of the legislation related to the New Deal. Um, Initially, um, there were uh, both um, municipal-owned and nonprofit, you know, publicly controlled um, utilities and private for-profit utilities. Um, the, the utilities really essentially provided the capital that was necessary to deliver a public good that the public may not have been able to finance by um, raising tax revenue or whatever. The utilities are essentially a, a method of financing something that's good for all of society, and they're given a monopoly um, and, and captive customers in order to do that. And this has primarily been focused on delivering electricity into your house and into your business. That's really the main point of our, of our electric utilities, is to keep the, the lights on, and, and there really was very little other um, interest in what they might do but but now with our you know full full on um, effort to combat climate change and to really do do some new things with our use of electricity um, the the nature of the grid is changing and um, people are using the grid um, to um, connect their own small scale solar generation for example um, and the distributed generation around the around the state is becoming very very important part of the grid. So it's it, the, the use of the grid is evolving, and we also we think that at the same time, um, this is an opportunity for reimagining the ownership and control of the grid to meet these new circumstances. And so, I mean, I, I think of um, as long as the sun is up, um, um, solar power is generating electricity for my computer, and and uh, uh, that's happening all over the state. So you're you're saying that the grid is changing because consumers are changing. 
Um, Nicole, what would have to ha happen for this to work? Um, that's all of those details you and your colleagues on both sides of the aisle have hammered out a proposal that, that's, that's um, interesting to read, but probably a little dense for the average person. What would actually happen if, if um, you know, we're successful in seeing this, this pass? Thank you. Yes, and I think the bill is something like 14 or 15 pages long, which is uh, not as long as it could be, but certainly not a, a short read, especially when it's uh, in very technical language. But um, essentially, the utilities, these monopoly utilities do business in the state of Maine because they have been given the privilege to do so. And they are overseen by our Public Utilities Commission uh, to try to make sure that they are providing us uh, reasonable um, service at reasonable rates. Um, that is something that needs to be monitored because there is no natural competition in our system. We don't want many sets of poles and wires running up and down our roads. So these utilities that serve us right now, Central Lane Power and Bursant Power, are here because they are permitted to be here. They do not have um, the right or the authority to serve us electricity in perpetuity. They are granted that right based on um, how well they perform. Uh, right now, we have literally the worst reliability in the country here in Maine. Um, that is compared to other states that are rural and that have trees. Uh, so to say that, oh, we have trees and we have storms and that that's the problem, I, I don't think, I mean, Maine is unique, but uh, it is not particularly unique in terms of its weathers and, and its trees. Um, so uh, because we are not seeing that we're getting the reliability we expect, we're not getting the affordable rates that we deserve, that Maine people need in order to be part of a competitive economy, um, we can change who owns uh, and operates our electric utilities. So this proposal follows a completely legal pathway to transitioning ownership from the private sector uh, to um, a consumer-owned utility. That means all of us. But it would not be managed by government. Uh, it would still be managed by the private sector, but it would be owned by us, um, each one of us. And I think that there's a lot of uh, power in that in terms of decision-making and um, getting to the clean energy future that we're looking for. So the legislation does um, explain what that transitional path looks like, how a price is determined to be fair, um, to the companies uh, that we would be purchasing because we need to make sure that they are adequately compensated for the value of, of the assets um, that they hold. And, uh, and then it sets up um, a, basically a board that is elected by the main people to oversee the utility. And the really great thing about that board, in my view, is that it's completely open to the public. Um, people will be able to go to meetings. They'll be able to read uh, how the decisions are made and they'll be able to be a part of those decisions. Right now, we have no transparency uh, into our how our utilities are being managed and what their choices are that affect us in our everyday lives. So the board is really an important part of this. And I know that um, the governance structure and the, the democratic way that we're approaching the management of this utility is why um, some of my colleagues across the aisle are really interested in it um, for the reason that we don't know what's going on right now and it doesn't seem to be to the benefit of main people. So greater transparency is really important and, and really energy sovereignty um, is, is why this appeals to so many people across party lines. Um, John, I don't know if there's anything you want to add, add to my beginning of my overview. I don't want to keep going on and on. No, that's, that's a terrific overview. And I would just add that um, 
you know, it's already been vetted by some really um, deep experts and legal authorities. The concept has been vetted and um, been given a, a, a clean bill of health on the legal front in terms of any of the constitutional issues that might arise here. So it has been um, carefully considered and um, it is still in, in the process. Um, and it may may be on a pathway to go out to the voters for voter review and, and approval at a at a referendum later in this year um, or possibly next year. So the the, the concept is is um, really to purchase um, the existing companies um, and and then um, run the new company um, with um, citizens at the head of that. I mean that's if, if we take boil it down into the into the really um, simple explanation, that's what you're hoping to happen. Nicole, is that right? It is. And, and again, the finance is critically important here. Yep. I mean, we we will not be funneling any money out of state to faraway investors for a model. We will be investing in our own communities. And that's really, really important. Plus, we will be able to borrow the money needed for capital investments at a much more favorable rate than what we have to pay to the utilities to make the same investments. So the finance financial model is critically important, but the democratic control is also very, very important. So, Nicole, where would the money come from to make this purchase? Um, you've said that no state dollars would be used. How do how, what's that mechanism look like? Sure. So um, right now, uh, when the utilities make investments in our grid or spend money, it's based on the fact that we all pay our electricity bills. So it's it's based on the revenue that's coming in. Um, so in that same way, uh, the um, the Pine Tree Power Company would be able to issue revenue bonds, um, which are backed by each of us as ratepayers in order to pay back that purchase price. Um, and we know because of the fact that uh, revenue bonds are, you know, usually within two to three percent interest rate compared to depending on the type of investment for the utilities, they're getting eight to 12 percent return on their investments that um, this transition will be very affordable for main people um, from day one. But most importantly, um, as we've paid off the amount that we, um, you know, we spent to purchase the utilities, then we own the infrastructure. So we are building equity at the same time. So we're moving from what is sort of like a rental payment to a low interest mortgage payment. And I think that um, that is such a powerful uh, transition for us to make. No, no more rental payments. Mm. I'll just remind listeners, they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about Pine Tree Power, the rationale for a consumer-owned utility, electric utility for Maine. Um, just You heard just heard from Representative Nicole Grahowski of Ellsworth, uh, representing Ellsworth and Trenton. She serves on the Energy Utility Technology uh, Committee in the legislature. Uh, we're joined also by Emily Rochford from Unity College and Louise Chaplin, University of Maine, both students involved in advocating for a public um, or, or consumer-owned utility, and John Brodigam, who is a Maine attorney and, and longtime public policy consultant. Um, let's bring our students into this. Um, uh, 
we've talked about the fact that we're looking for the future uh, for utilities to do more than just provide us with our electrical power. Um, uh, let's start with you, Emily, and, and, and just say a little bit more about what, what you imagine um, your future could be with this kind of, of arrangement for a uh, consumer-owned electric utility. Why do you really um, support this? Yeah, thank you so much, Ron. So it's kind of interesting to put it this way, you know, right now, youth only represent 20% of the total population, but we're 100% of the future. So, you know, we're looking at our future electricity, electricity grid, um, and the things that we rely on, you know, more and more, especially with everything moving online, we see how much that energy is a necessity. And it's something, you know, when we're looking at climate justice, something like energy justice comes into play. So people not having access to energy or energy not being affordable or even sustainable for, you know, we can see how the fossil fuel industry is dying um, and renewable energy is the future. You know, that's how the only way we're going to have a sustainable energy grid. So you know, with this consumer and utility bill, it's about making energy accessible, um, making it affordable for everyone and having that sustainable future lined up for these future generations. So you know, we don't have to worry about these problems of can we pay to keep our lights on? Can we pay to have a job from home? Um, all these things are really important and becoming more necessities than ever. Louise, what would you add to that, Louise Chaplin? What 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 uh, um, do you see as the key advantages, especially as we try to transition to a greener um, energy picture for the state of Maine? I absolutely agree with everything that Emily said. It's creating a more affordable, sustainable future for all people of Maine. I would also add that just the flexibility that is given to us when we, the consumers, are in charge of what our energy utilities are doing, it opens up capabilities to change infrastructure to be more accepting to solar or wind energy, and it opens up community solar projects to communities. Flexibility means we can do whatever we want, and currently that's not the case. We don't have control over that. So the flexibility for me is just the biggest part, and it can also depend on the community what will work best for them. It's just everybody can benefit from this in any way. It's more affordable, it's more reliable, and the possibilities are just endless of what we can do when we have control over our energy utility. Uh, John Brodigan, um, what, what's the experience in other states or, or even those parts of Maine that already have a consumer-owned utility? Um, how has this worked elsewhere? Yeah, their experience is excellent, actually, in terms of reliability, in terms of cost, um, and in terms of achieving climate benefits. You know, the top five or six municipalities in the country that have gotten to net zero of clean energy um, on their electric grids are all consumer-owned utility models. And I think that really speaks loudly for the potential uh, in this particular area. Um, but we see lower rates um, in Maine's uh, utilities that are municipal or consumer-owned utilities. Um, they have substantially lower rates than investor-owned utilities in the state. And um, nationally, um, consumer-owned utilities have better reliability than the investor-owned uh, model. So all of these benefits, as you look around the different places, um, and you know the entire state of Nebraska is all a consumer-owned utility. Um, Long Island, New York is all a consumer-owned utility. 
Um, there are municipalities scattered around the country that are are owned by their consumer or their utilities owned by the consumers. Um, and they've had very good experiences and both in terms of reliability, cost and achieving other goals like uh, emissions reductions. Nicole, um, you have you and, and others have said that um, you think we would move faster to a green energy uh, future with um, a consumer-owned electric utility. What's holding um, the private companies back? What What is the reluctance to move more rapidly? We've certainly seen news in the na- last couple of days where um, consumers and, and um, actually st- shareholders are, are beginning to change that story. But it does seem as though um, the private companies are ho- dragging their feet on some of these issues. What's behind that, do you imagine? Thanks. I think it's a number of things, and I'll try to highlight a few. Um, in Maine, our generation assets, which are creating the power, are separate from our distribution grid, which is your poles and wires bringing the power to your house. So there isn't coordinated planning, and there's no benefit to the utilities to be incredibly thoughtful about um, generation and where it should go and how it can best benefit um, the grid and the consumers because they are separate. Um, Additionally, uh, information sharing is a challenge. I think um, these utilities are incentivized uh, actually more more strongly uh, or with more money to build transmission what we're seeing is that distribution is such an important part of our future. It is that distributed generation where we might have a few solar farms and, and smaller wind turbines. Maybe it will be tidal at some point um, scattered across our landscape so that we don't need uh, these large transmission lines. But right now, the utilities are incentivized to build transmission. Um, we have a really great program that's uh, just started up and running in the state to look at non-wires alternatives. That's something that the utilities really weren't doing a good job of because they weren't incentivized to do something other than build more wires. And a non-wires alternative means that instead of building a big transmission line down a peninsula, for instance, we could make sure that the energy uh, generation is there to meet the demand. So the the fundamental structure that we have and the um, financial incentives that we have just really aren't moving us in the right direction. So I think with a consumer-owned utility where uh, making money is not the goal, but serving the customers is the goal, um, we can totally flip that paradigm on its head. It seems like um, the, the last few years have brought electricity um, right back into into focus um, as to its importance. Um, we think of of uh, uh, solar generation, but we also think about um, um, electric cars. Those two things are are part of our future. Um, heat pumps um, are part of our future because they're so efficient. All of these re- require um, electricity. So what I, what I hear you saying is that if we are as as consumers are are owning um, the system, um, we'll make sure that we get the electricity we need um, to to uh, um, generate the, the excuse me to power our cars and to power our homes. Where where um, is the opposition coming from? Um, we don't have someone representing the the private utilities on the show. What are some of the reasons that they might say this is a bad idea for Maine? I think there's already some campaign um, <laughs> going on. Um, I, I've certainly seen those on Facebook and elsewhere. Um, uh, what are some of the arguments that they would be saying we shouldn't we shouldn't be going down this road? I'll start with uh, Nicole and then go to John to see if he has additional background. Nicole? 
Sure. Um, what I find really interesting about the uh, arguments against this proposal is that they're not um, actually based in a close reading or understanding of the legislation. Um, they seem to be based uh, more in what will generate fear among the people, um, you know, saying this is a government takeover. Uh, this this is not something that's going to be part of the state of Maine government. It is not funded by taxpayer dollars. It's just simply not true. Um, it's been uh, frustrating to hear the discussion because I, I'd like to have a, a legitimate policy discussion, but we're unable to have that because it turns out that the policy we're proposing is very, very solid. So we're not hearing specific complaints about aspects of the legislation um, because as John pointed out, it's completely legal and has been analyzed in that front. It's been through rigorous economic analysis. So at this point, um, it is more of a rhetorical battle than it is one about the substance of the legislation. So that's been a bit frustrating for me because I, I would love to be able to improve legislation based on really good feedback, but unfortunately the opposition is not providing anything but what I would call scare tactics. John, is it really just because, um, you know, th this is going to take away someone's dividend? I mean, is it, is it the private model that um, people are just holding on to because it provides um, stockholders, shareholders um, income? Well, I, I always think in these multi-billion dollar industries, you, you do have to follow the money and the, the financial incentives. But I also think there's a, you know, there's a human element to it. I think that um, initially utilities were um, granted uh, authority from the state and given permission in a discretionary act to given permission, unlike, um, you know, a car dealership or, uh, you know, somebody who manufactures something and utility is a is a monopoly granted by the state and although initially it's obvious that that's a discretionary monopoly and that it, it's not really something that is owned by the company over time they begin to feel ownership of that and they begin to feel privileged and entitled to continue to run that business and to claim the profits that you know they see going on into the future so i think we're actually reclaiming um, that section of our economy for the people and and reaffirming that that is not a lifetime privilege or it's not an internal uh, privilege that's given to the utilities, that it is something that really the people own, the people that belongs to the people and the people can see, can do with it as they see fit, provided that the reasonable investments of the private sector are compensated if they're, if they're taken away. The, the, uh, notion that um, we're, we're involved in a transition. Um, this transition seems like um, it has lots of, of young supporters. Um, where, where are the other places where this is being supporters? We've heard uh, both from um, Emily and Louise that um, some of their colleagues in the Maine Youth for Climate Justice and the Coastal Youth Climate Coalition have obvious reasons. Um, Nicole, you've said that Average consumers are 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 interested in this. Um, you know what what are they telling you um, as you've been able to speak to to some of the consumers of electric power in Maine? Yeah, I think that um, at first it seems um, really different uh, than what we've been used to when you've been served by um, uh, an investor-owned utility like Versen, which was previously a mayor, previously Bangor Hydro in in our region of Maine. Um, but then I think what's been interesting for, for folks is starting to look around and see alternatives. Um, 
you know, in Down East Maine, Eastern Maine Electric Cooperative, they pay less than we do, and they're immediately adjacent to us and less densely populated. Um, and it's something that I had never even heard about. But as I've introduced the topic um, to my constituents, and as they've looked into it more, they seem to be pretty excited about the opportunities um, to have more affordable electricity, to have more reliable electricity, and to, to get a call from a constituent and say, who's saying, my power has gone out 16 times today on a sunny August day, I've called the utility, nobody knows why or they won't tell me, um, is very frustrating. And our electricity, as I think Emily pointed out, is the basis of of how we do our our daily uh, lives and 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 we need it to be there all the time at this point. Um, especially, we heard so much compelling testimony from people who uh, were worried about their access to life saving equipment um, that have to spend ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollars on a generator in order to make sure that they can breathe through the night. Uh, because our electricity is so, so unreliable here in Maine. So I think that it's things like that, that it's people's real world experiences. And then seeing that actually other people are having better experiences than we're having under a different ownership model has really piqued people's interest. And you, as you say, um, you mentioned that I'm not sure if I've got the name right. Eastern Maine um, Power. Electric. Electric. Um, yeah. That's right next door at Ellsworth. Is that right? We're, we're very close to Ellsworth. Yeah, it's not too far from here. Um, I can't say precisely which town it starts well, it's in. But Mariahville it and our, up on the airline. It is our yep. next closest uh, right. utility. Right. So we don't have to look very far um, to find a well-run um, consumer-owned utility. Um, I think that's what you're saying. We can, we exactly. can find these examples. Yeah. Um, the uh, what's what's been the journey so far in the legislature, Nicole? Um, um, uh, this was introduced back in in April, I believe, and we're sorry that Seth Berry, who one of the champions of this, can't be with us because of legislative duties um, uh, uh, that are taking place. But what's been the legislative journey so far? Well, it might be worth backing up a little bit to say that this bill, a different version of this bill, um, was introduced in the previous legislature and. At that point, uh, there were many reasons that we found it compelling, you know, like the reliability and the cost factors and the clean energy transition potential. But we really did feel like we wanted to do uh, more diligence around the proposal and make sure that we uh, made this transition if we were to make it in a way that um, protected main people, uh, customers. Um, in that process. So we commissioned a report that was done by London Economics International um, that found, uh, like we've mentioned, a clean bill of health and actually identified a a really good way to um, shorten uh, any sort of legal process and um, guarantee that the cost of the transition would be fair. Um, So we've adapted this legislation to incorporate feedback um, from that analysis, but also from so many other stakeholders so this bill is um, the result of a couple of years worth of work, really, and was introduced recently in the legislature. We had a phenomenal public hearing. Um, uh, the amount of support was much, much um, stronger uh, in terms of quantity and quality, quite frankly, um, than the opposition. And it was great to just hear from um, just main people, not, not lobbyists telling us that you need to stick with the way that things have been or there'll be trouble but to hear from main people who are ready to make this transition. Um, so we're now at a point where our committee um, is considering if we wanna amend the bill uh, at all to take into account a little bit of additional feedback um, from municipalities, for example, related to um, 
uh, property taxes related to TIF districts, if you really want to go into the weeds. Um, so we are always making adjustments, but we're at that point where we will be voting quite soon and then sending our recommendation to the full legislature. John, what were some of the legal um, aspects of this um, that had to be kind of tested and, and proved out? Is there anything particularly interesting about um, how this will be done um, that, that is legal, in fact? <laughs> well, there, there is um, the, the big legal question is what is the value to be placed? Because when you take the assets from a private company like one of these utilities, um, you're entitled, you're required to compensate them to the fair value of those assets. And this doesn't happen every day. So calculating the value of that will be the subject of a lot of discussion and analysis and, and argumentation um, over like what is the actual price tag. Um, but um, we, we feel that that process doesn't need to stretch on forever and it can be handled and there's a way to do that in the bill and it's been done before. Um, and so when people with good faith come together and realize that this is the direction the state, the people of the state want to go in, then I think coming to a decision about that, the valuation to be paid, um, it can, can happen relatively quickly and the transition can be executed. So that was the main, the main legal issue. The other legal issues around this, I think, are pretty, pretty straightforward and, and there really isn't a substantial concern about whether or not the state can do this. Emily and Louise, um, were you part of the hearing that uh, um, that uh, uh, Representative Grahowski mentioned? Were you observing the hearing? Did you testify? What was your experience around that? Yeah, so I gave spoken testimony at the hearing, um, as well as submitted written testimony on behalf of Maine Youth for Climate Justice. Um, we also had a number of young folks both submit um, spoken testimony as well as written testimony. Do you remember any of the, the details of, 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 of what some of your colleagues and friends were, were saying about the importance of, of, of this as it relates to the future of, of green energy in Maine, for instance? What were some yeah. of their, their arguments, basically? Yeah. Absolutely. So a couple of the really good points that were brought up is just, you know, the ability of a consumer and utility to move forwards in a green energy future. Um, you know, looking at the existing consumer and utilities in Maine and across the United States, you know, a number of them have already reached 100% renewable energy. Um, and those that haven't already gotten to that milestone are even decades ahead of what Maine's goals are for in terms of renewable energy. So I think that was really powerful points that were brought up in just, you know, a lot of young voices because we are the future and kind of this is something that we really care about and seeing that passion from young people, I think was really effective. Louise, what do you recall from, from the experience of the, of the hearing? I unfortunately was working at the time of the hearing, so I wasn't able to attend in person, but I did hear a lot both from running the social media and hearing what people were saying on our Facebook page and just with talk beforehand and afterwards. Um, a lot of people, like Emily was saying, are just really excited about all the possibilities that this will open up. And I mean, as Nicole was saying before, this is proven to work. I believe the top five or six uh, town or municipalities in the country that have gone completely renewable to completely renewable energy are all consumer owned. Uh, it's very clear from what has already occurred around the country that this is 
the way to become 100% renewable. And it's tried and true, and now it's Maine's turn to follow in these municipalities' footsteps. Thanks. I'll remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns as we talk with some folks about Pine Tree Power, um, a provision for um, consumer-owned electric utility for Maine. We're talking about the rationale for that uh, change. Um, Joined, um, as you just heard, from Louise Chaplin, a student at the University of Maine on the executive board for Coastal Youth Climate Coalition. Um, you've heard from Emily Rochford, um, who's a student at Unity College and a core member of Maine Youth for Climate Justice. Uh, John Grodigam is with us. He's a Maine attorney and public policy consultant. And one of the sponsors of the of the bill before the legislature is Representative Nicole Grushowski from Ellsworth. Um, as we think about the, the future, John, you mentioned that this may go to a public referendum. What, um, let's talk about in the remaining time, what's what, what's the future hold? We, we can't predict the future, but you know, are there some some signs that you, you think, John, that we may be going to a, a public referendum? Yeah, there's, there's three ways that this bill could move forward. The legislature could just enact it and it could become law with the governor's signature or not. Um, it could be sent to the voters by the legislature or if the legislature does nothing, then the um, voters could gather signatures and have it placed on the ballot in 2022. Um, so any of those is a possibility at this point. Um, you know, this is a big question and there are large public values and interests at stake in this question. And it's the kind of thing that although there are some technical complexities, it does kind of come down to a simple question of whether we want to be in control of our own future and whether we want to be able to keep um, some of the money that we pay um, for our um, electric services in our own state or whether we're content to continue to send it out of the state. And um, so those kinds of big questions about a big public good that the utility provides are are good questions to ask the public, and it's a good public debate to have. Uh, So we we do think that ultimately, if this isn't enacted, that public debate will be happening in the next two years. Nicole, what's your best guess? Um, The legislature is is attempting perhaps to wind things down um, in the in the remaining time that that uh, you have. What um, what's your best guess as to the status of of the Pine Tree Power Bill? Thank you. And and I would say right now, the bill as written will send this question to the voters. So what we're asking, what I'm asking my colleagues is, will you allow the people to decide this important question? Um, And I I think that direct democracy is so powerful. And we see that Maine people love to engage at the ballot box. We have such great turnout and we've had so many um, referendum questions that some are approved and some are not, but everyone is having a say. And as John said, this is such an important topic that I, I hope that my colleagues and I think that they will say, yes, let's let the people make this decision for our future. Because so, so much of our policy consideration, especially with a, a two-year budget, for instance, is, is on the short term. Every couple of years, you know, we're readjusting, readjusting, but we are at a critical moment where we need to take a turn in how we're doing things related to our electric utilities. And I think the main people should have a say right now uh, before we invest a lot more uh, in our grid infrastructure. We know that we're going to have to increase the grid three to four times what it is now to hold all the electricity we need for electric vehicles and heat pumps. So now is the moment to make this decision 
uh, and to access that lower cost capital, for instance, that is the only way that we are going to afford a clean energy transition and stay competitive. So um, my, my, my hope, um, certainly what I think right now is that my colleagues will say, yes, it's important for the people to have a say, and we will not stand in the way of the people having a say. In fact, we will allow them to. And if, if that were the case, um, when would this um, come before voters? It would be this November. That's November. the schedule that it's on. Yep. As we've talked about before, just kind of hearing that youth voice and getting activism, you know, that's the way to do it. Just encouraging people, you know, spreading the benefits of this bill. As Nicole and John have kind of said, you know, this is a tried and true model. It's good for our economics. It's good for our climate. It's good for our people. So just encouraging people to get out there and vote and just get involved, do what you can. Louise, you've mentioned that um, part of your um, work is um, working on social media to be engaged in a referendum. Yeah. So um, along with just working with the Our Power Coalition, um, I've been a part of running the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, which is really just a communication tool with our audience and our voters and a way to educate people and kind of get the word out of what what we're doing and what's going on. So I definitely also am in the long haul in uh, in terms of trying to educate my colleagues and other generations as well. Um, it, for my myself personally, I'm looking to go into the social or political side of environmental science and become an environmental educator or work with towns who are moving towards solar, things like that. So this is exactly what I want to be doing. And I really feel that it's it's the biggest way that I can make an impact. I, f- I feel that it's just kind of a no-brainer for me to make this decision. And really, the work that needs to be done is educating people about it and working with different towns to make sure that it's a just and easy transition for everybody. Nicole, you've, you've um, cited Maine's uh, track record in terms of the private utilities, um, both in terms of rates and reliability. What might we be looking at in terms of rates um, or what other, what other states? What's the differential between the private model and the consumer-owned model? Uh, is there a difference that consumers would really relate? Great question. Um, you know, in general, consumer utilities are more affordable, but I can say right here in Maine, having analyzed the cost for residential rate payers, the investor in utilities are 58% uh, more expensive than our consumer-owned utilities. So that's a pretty significant jump. That even includes some of the uh, islands that have some higher rates because of the difficulty in providing uh, access to them. So, um, you know, we can't say right now what a rate change might be because the consumers might decide that they want to take those monies that they're saving that are not going to foreign investors and reinvest them in the grid for reliability or to connect green energy. So it's sort of hard to predict because it would be up to the consumers that value is that they're seeking from their utility. So they're, they're kind of having to sit in the seat of a policymaker and weigh the, the options. That's a you know, not everybody's ready to take that on. So you mentioned that this would be guided by some elected representatives. How would that process take place? And, and what kind of people would you imagine who, who might be interested? Are, are these average people? Are they experts? What's what's the range of people who might be helping make those decisions? Sure. So they, um, the people of Maine would elect uh, these board members by geographic area, which I think would be amazing. Right now, we have a public utilities commission that doesn't have any commissioners that represent uh, rural areas. I would like to see some geographic explicitity in decision-making. And 
any number of people could run, but I think we know, and I've identified, met so many amazing people in this process who are uh, retired uh, commissioners, people who have managed consumer and utilities, uh, people with deep, deep experience that um, would be willing to give back to the state uh, in this way. But additionally, the board is able to choose a number of people to not be voting members, but to help guide them with more technical decisions who have technical background. Additionally, they'll have staff as well to help them. And then there will be private contractors actually managing utility. And then all the people who are that we see out there uh, in a storm fixing our grid, they still keep their job. So a lot of the utility looks similar, but the decision-making is what has become democracy. So let's talk a little bit about the, the contractors you mentioned. Basically, this public group would be making the decisions, but they would hire professional managers to, to manage certain aspects of both transmission and, and generation. Yes, that's how it's laid out in the bill. It's beyond my imagination at this point. Okay, no, thank <laughs> That's you. the thank actual you. structure, yes. Great. Some people think that it's going to be uh, people like me deciding, you know, who gets their lights turned on at what times. That's not the case. Right, I'm that's what I was trying to at all. <laughs> right. John, what would you add to this this dilemma of, of, of how we um, move to a, a group that's basically elected, but then um, has to have professional managers as well? What's that transition like likely to be like? Yeah, I think that will be a smooth transition. I mean, us here in the Portland area are electing new trustees to our Portland Water District, which is a very important utility in this area. It's it's normal, it's routine, um, it's uh, a responsibility, um, um, but it is it is not a, um, <clears throat> a partisan election. Um, and it, I think that it, the transition to this kind of leadership of this entity um, is thoughtful in the bill. It's it's going to go smoothly. And as Nicole said, this board is going to be assisted by experts and it's going to actually um, sit on top of a management structure that will be managing the day-to-day operations, uh, much like the management structure of any other utility that's already in, uh, in place in the state or around the country. So it's not, it's, uh, you know the board's role is not to you know get in the weeds and 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 make day-to-day decisions but but to to select and oversee the people who will be doing that and i think that's going to be um it's a common thing and i think it's it's going to be a welcome change so the same kind of expertise um that's used to run utilities now would be employed <laughs> at, um, with the consumer owned. It's just a question of where does the policy come from? Instead of coming from um, stockholders and, and folks who are receiving a dividend, the policy is coming from folks that consumers elect. Um, and, uh, Nicole, I think you said that in some municipalities have a particular interest in, in what happens with um, electric utilities. Are there some special cases that, that you've had to think about in terms of municipalities um, with a, a consumer-owned utility? Or am I throwing you a curveball? I, I didn't mean to do that, if that's no, the case. No, it's okay. Um, I, I can say that there are specific municipalities that have voted uh, in support of this legislation that are very interested um, because they have their own clean energy and climate goals, and they see that this is really important. And they don't have really an opportunity right now to break free from CMP or Burson. So um, even though they could see that as a benefit, it's really very challenging to do that. So um, there is a lot of municipal support. And I, and maybe what you were mentioning is, um, 
you know, we want to make sure that our municipalities are kept whole in terms of the uh, tax value that they get yep. from the assets. And that is something that this legislation does do. So we are trying to uh, make sure the transition benefits Maine people and does not um, uh, sort of change some of those benefits that they're used to receiving from hosting infrastructure, for instance. John, go ahead. I would also just point out that, uh, first of all, the other the consumer-owned utilities around the state of Maine will not be affected by this. They will continue to run their business the way they have as they choose to. Um, and, you know, so that's that's an important point to note. The other thing I point out is that um, there will be uh, one uh, management structure um, for uh, the state, the rest of the state, um, where right now there are two. Um, there is the Versant and there's the Central Maine Power. So there will be some efficiencies there, but even with those efficiencies, um, that the existing, the amount of money that is going into that management structure right now, even with cutting it substantially to, to make those efficiencies, will still be plenty to attract, you know, the very best national talent to, to be involved in assisting with this transition and with the management of this, of this uh, project. And again, uh, Nicole, going back, municipalities are interested because they pay, um, as you say, perhaps on the average of 58% more for their electrical um, utilities, the things that they use, they're consumers of electricity. And so basically, um, any large user of electricity would be looking at this um, this bill and saying, oh, I, ha- I have the opportunity um, to save uh, on, on the rates that I'm paying. And if there are um, groups, as you said, municipalities that have particular green energy goals themselves, this allows them to speed up the, op- the the ability to get there is that is that a, am, I, am I making a fair statement there yes definitely and I think that for that same reason we see other support um, where we might not immediately think of it like the industrial energy users I mean they are the cost of electricity down to the you know fractions of a penny is so critical for the amount that they use and the products that they're creating that um, they are supportive of this proposal as well for that reason. So it is, it's been such a great um, project to work on because like we've seen, you know, we have the youth, we have all these util- retired utility experts, we have economists, we have lawyers, and we even have, you know, the industrial users, municipalities that has brought together um, so many people of different political backgrounds because it's not a partisan issue. I mean, right. making a transition to a utility that is more affordable and more reliable, who wouldn't want something like that? So um, each of you perhaps might uh, reflect on this in the few minutes we have. Re- re- what would what would uh, Maine look like in five years' time, ten years' time, with a consumer-owned um, utility and the uses of electricity um, that you imagine um, to fuel our economy, but also to be um, to to moving us in that green energy direction? Um, maybe we could start with our our younger representatives. Do you have a, a particular vision? Um, for what the future would be like. What would the the future you would really like to see? Um, Louise, could we start with you and then go to to, uh, Emily? Absolutely. Um, It's pretty clear that Maine is already moving in a direction of sustainable energy sources. And like Nicole has been saying, this is just going to speed that up. And it's just going to make it a lot more possible for our grid to become more uh, suitable for sustainable energy. I really feel like there's going to be a cultural shift to be a lot more accepting of sustainable energy, more so than it's already occurring. It's just going to become the norm a lot more quickly than it would 
while we're trying to push against foreign investors and uh, people who have money in our utility from out of state and out of the country. It's Thanks. yeah. Thanks. Um, Emily, how would you, how would you answer that question about the future? We only got a couple of minutes, so um, be brief. Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely, you know, kind of echoing what Louise said, making renewable energy more accessible already, you know, it's progressed from being something that, you know, only people with tons and tons of money can afford to put solar on their roof. But now we're making progressions into community solar and having that become more affordable. So a grid that's powered close to or almost 100% by renewable energy, making that accessible and a reality for all people in Maine. Thanks. And John, Brodigan, um, you've been at this for a while. Um, what's the future that you imagine that you can see if um, we get um, pine tree power? Well, five years is a, is a near-term future in utility planning. And so I would say that um, uh, five years from now, we would have a robust, reliable grid um, and our interruptions in our electric service um, are minimized and um, more in line with the national averages. I think that would be one of the first and most important benefits of this is the investment in, in a reliable, strong, kind of a hardened electrical uh, distribution service system. Thanks very much. And uh, um, Representative Nicole Grahowski, what would your future imagined um, be? I would definitely um, second uh, what everyone else has said about that future. Um, and I think it's some things that we can't even necessarily envision. I have an aunt in her 80s who has a consumer utility in Braintree, Mass. And because the electrical grid requires internet to operate in and of itself, they said, well, why don't we just upgrade those wires we have to fiber? Now she's getting fiber and electricity for like a total of $50 a month. And at the end of the year, she gets a dividend on her tax bill if they didn't use all the money that she paid. Like that's something that I think that I, I couldn't have imagined before I started doing this research. So um, the possibilities that we've heard are real, uh, but there might even be additional benefits that have yet to be um, envisioned by us. And, and I just want to say that if You've been listening and you are enthusiastic about learning more. We have great information on our website at ourpowermain.org, but also contact your representative, your senator, and the governor to let them know that you want to have a choice this November about your energy future because um, we need to hear your voices now. This is the most important time. And then again <laughs> in November. Thank you so much. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from four to five on the second Wednesday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks to, again to our guests in the studio by Zoom this afternoon, um, Representative Nicole Grahusky, Emily Rochford, and Louise Chaplin, and John Brodigan. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for helping to engineer our program. And stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg. This is Ron Beard, producer and host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon.